Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 247 of the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers, here as always with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hi, Sarah. Happy to be with you today. I know. I'm really excited about this episode. We're talking about technology and having the tech talk with our kids today. (laughs) Things like online safety and internet privacy and a whole bunch of stuff that maybe sounds intimidating, but our goal today is really to make it not that way for parents. Totally agree. Like we both know there are so many positive things that come from both having technology in our lives and also being really open with our kids about it. Um, One thing that I think is really interesting when I think about kids in tech, sometimes I think we kind of put that aside like it's like a separate thing. But almost every technology issue that I've kind of walked through in my mind really relates to almost every other parenting issue. It's not like my parenting completely changes because now there's a device involved or like the internet is involved. It's still the same basic principles. And so, you know, around here at the mom hour, we, we like to kind of break it down and demystify it for you. Um, and ages and stages also play in pretty big in this topic. So that's what we're going to do for you today. Just kind of walk you through it. Yeah. And what I love about what you just said is I think one of the things we have to offer our listeners is this kind of like parent from what feels right for your family, parent from your values, from what you and your partner have decided feels right. And then the rest is just details to be worked out. And I think tech is just an extension of that. So while it seems like there's a right or wrong way to do things or all of this stuff you've got to learn, right? New technologies and new apps and new platforms. um, I think both you and I have realized that um, nobody's perfect and nobody's found the one right way. But when we kind of consult the sources that we trust and then make the decision that feels right for our family, everything else can can adjust and course correct as we as we go. So it doesn't have to be scary. Yeah. And we definitely want to demystify all parenting topics and kind of keep our tone from getting so intense and to focus on what we can do um, to give our kids and ourselves the skills that they need and that we need to help them as they grow older. And it really applies to being online, just like any other part of growing up. But it's true that we are living in a really different world from the world mm-hmm. we grew up in. Um, so we need real solutions and real approaches because this is just normal now. And so for us to be really helpful, we want to kind of take that proactive approach. Yeah, I love that. Um, I think any time that moms can come away from this show feeling like they don't have to change who they are, They don't have to go out and buy 10 new books, but they can parent from the place where they are today with a few simple tools and tricks. Then I feel like we've done our job. So I love this. I love this topic. And just even preparing for this episode, I've thought about a lot of things with regard to my kids and being online. So I'm excited. Yeah, I love that. And Sarah, we're both really tech positive in our own lives. So it only makes sense that we would be really positive about the possibilities um, for our kids as well. 
So we are going to break the conversation down for you stage by stage. You know that we have kids little to grown and things have changed a ton. Even since my oldest was a baby, I just laugh when I think about the technology that he was first exposed to. And even my youngest, like things have really, really changed. So we'll draw on what our experiences have been over the years and um, walk you kind of through that. I love it. Well, first, we're really excited to welcome our sponsor for this episode, Google. Google has been a huge part of my online life for basically as far back as I can remember being online. And now it's a big part of my family's life and Sarah, our work lives. So this is really fun. Yes. And it makes a lot of sense for Google to be sponsoring our episode on talking to kids about tech. First, because today is actually Safer Internet Day. And also because Google is really leading the way in facilitating this talk in a positive, fun, and empowering way with their Be Internet Awesome program. Google recently surveyed parents and found that the average kid gets their first electronic device at the age of nine and a half. Wow. 38% of parents listed their top online safety concern as their kids possibly accessing inappropriate content. 20% were most concerned about them communicating responsibly online. And 15% are most concerned about cyberbullying. So these are big, important issues. And yet 73% of parents have spent less than four hours a year talking to their kids about online safety. And only four in 10 parents feel confident enough to talk to their family about online safety at all. So it's like we know it's really important to talk to our kids and help keep them as safe as possible, but then we get so overwhelmed we don't know how to bring it up. Well, in honor of Safer Internet Day, we want to encourage parents to have the tech talk with their kids about online safety and positive digital habits. We've always stressed that learning from positive, non-scary sources and engaging with our kids and really paying attention to what they're telling us can help demystify almost any topic and make it less overwhelming. And tech is no different. And luckily, Google has made having the tech talk so much easier with their tools and resources for parents and kids. We'll dive into more details about Google's Be Internet Awesome program a little later in the show and let you know how you can use the resources they have to start the tech talk with your own family. Thanks to Google for sponsoring this episode. And if you want to know more, you can visit g.co slash be internet awesome to find helpful resources like the family guide and the five pillars of internet awesomeness. Oh, yeah. And while you're there, you have to check out the really cool interactive learning game that my kids are now obsessed with. It's called Interland. Okay, so like we said, we'll get into a few more tips later on from Google. But right now, as promised, we're going to start kind of from the very beginning. And Megan, as we were planning for this and thinking about our kids' ages, I realized that I have really lived the zero through elementary school years with kids and the Internet over the last like decade. And like you said, you've lived it, but it's now been longer. So yes, <laughs> that sort of makes me, even though I'm the less experienced mom, I'm our de facto expert here you because are I'm, the yeah, expert. I'm in it. I'm in <laughs> I'm it. I'm definitely going to lean on you for this part because for me, I am so now in the teens and tweens right. um, with, with tech. And that's really where my relevance lies, I suppose. I was just thinking the other day about how when I was pregnant with Clara, who's my youngest, um, all the photos that I took of like my pregnancy and when she was a, a new baby, I don't, I can't go back in time and find those on any social media platform hmm. because I wasn't on any social media yeah. platform where I was posting photos when she was born. Yeah. Like I was on them, but I wasn't using them for that. Photo, they so weren't just, as photo heavy. Yeah, yeah, they weren't photo heavy yet. So things have changed so much and it's happened really quickly. So I am really going to lean on you because I'm so curious yeah. how this looks now. So first, let's talk about brand new parents. It might sound funny to kind of include moms of little babies here, but this that's where it starts, yeah. right? So what ideas do you have, Sarah, for them to start thinking about raising kids who will be internet users one day? Right. Well, this does sound kind of funny because we're not having the tech talk with a six-month-old. But I did think it was an important place to start because it's a great time to start thinking about this stuff. First up, it's a great time to start thinking about just what your own personal values are or your values with your spouse about all of these topics, social sharing, online privacy, and just how the internet kind of fits into your family culture. I mean, I honestly feel so lucky to be living in the time we are living. There's really cool and creative and beautiful ways that we're able to, you know, stay connected to faraway family and friends and almost create works of art from our photos and videos. And it's just it I I get excited about this kind of stuff. But one piece to think about is how all of that fits into your overall views about using the Internet and things Mm. like privacy and safety. So I don't think you have to make any big decisions or declare you know, plant your flag in anywhere right now, but it's a great time to start making observations and having a conversation with your, with your spouse. I love that. 
So another thing is that right now, if you have babies, then most of the devices in your home are likely still only used by adults, which I feel Megan and I can tell you mm-hmm. is a unique position to be in. And you it really probably, is. It changes fast. <laughs> there are no fingerprints on any mm-hmm. glass screens anywhere. Um, so while that is the case, it's a great time to brush up on things like password best practices, how to create passwords that are really safe and secure. Um, it might even be great to like set aside a day or an afternoon and just do some digital decluttering. You know, make sure that you're logged out of everywhere you need to be logged out of, cancel accounts that you need to cancel and make sure those passwords are really strong and kind of make that something the way you would, you know, spring clean the garage every year or every other year and just make that kind of updating and kind of security check in um, kind of something you do as a, as a grown up. Um, because I don't think I think I had to grow into that becoming a grown up when I did, because the Internet wasn't such a part of every single aspect of my life until, you know, I had been married and had a couple of kids. So I can so relate to that. And I think you will find it much easier to do that. Um, like you were saying, while the uh, devices are still under adult usage yeah. and before you get too used to. I mean, I'm just cringing thinking about how many passwords um, in my early Internet days were based on my oldest kid's name Mm -hmm. (laughs) and how long they were that until we had a couple of different like, you know, incidents. So we had to go through and do all the spring cleaning at once. And it was it was a lot. So best to just kind of start that process now. Totally agree. Yeah. Okay. And then my final tip for kind of brand new parents is that you probably just have noticed that the internet plays a different role in your life since becoming a mom. I mean, listening to this podcast happens over the internet and we get so many amazing emails and messages from you all listening about, you know, the role this show plays in your lives. And I I can guarantee that many of you have either made a friend or Mm -hmm. deepened a friendship via the internet or at least had the internet support it. And so I guess my kind of just like a mindset thing to think about for newer parents is think of of the role that this digital communication plays in your relationships now as a mom and all those positive ways that we can nurture that and kind of use that to our advantage as we grow our tribe and grow our circles. I think having those relationships and that structure in place now and, and really appreciating it and nurturing those relationships also then empowers you and enables you to set those kinds of examples for your kids later on when they are texting with friends or you know, sending a picture to grandma or whatever, you're participating in a really positive kind of like nurturing life giving way in in internet relationships. And that will also be a great example to set for your kids down the line. So all these things for new parents, I think, are more about being aware and kind of recognizing the role that the internet plays in your life now. And, and just then that plants the seed for how you want to model later on. I love that. And can I also say that I think there is a certain and I'll talk about this more when we get into teens and tweens. But I think that there is a certain credibility that it gives you. And Mm -hmm. I think that my kids, when they look at the fact that I have this long history online, um, there's like a little they're kind of proud of it in a way or something. (laughs) And it kind of gives me a little more like like I get a little more uh, clout with them, a little street cred with when I talk about things with them than I would if I was truly fumbling around and had no idea. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really smart to start that early. Yeah. Um, Okay. So you talked about new moms, little babies, but what about toddlers and preschoolers? So they're not really using the internet quite like maybe we are, but if they're playing on your phone or on a tablet, they're these tiny little digital citizens already. Mm -hmm. So what do we think, Sarah? Is this a good time to start having the tech talk in small ways? I think so. I mean, I think any kind of a talk, like we've said on this show before, is so much better and easier when it's done early, often and in small, non, you know, non intimidating ways. So, yes, I do think so. Um, But I have a couple of thoughts on on how that might be. I think with toddlers, a lot of what we're doing is modeling and or narrating what we're doing. So narrating, I think, is a great tool for any kind of behavior that you want to kind of just subtly draw attention to. Um, If you're home with little kids, toddlers and preschoolers all day, you're probably doing this anyway. Like, Mom's going to wash the dishes first over here and you're going to eat your lunch and then we're going to go to the grocery store and I'm going to get you in your shoes. And, you know, we kind of do that anyway. But I think when our toddlers and preschoolers see us on our devices, it all looks the same, right? Like mom's got her phone in her hand. She might be doing one of a million things. I'm really actually intentional about talking about what I'm going to do on my device for a couple of reasons. One, I think it helps my kids understand I'm not just staring at my phone. I'm often taking care of some item of family business. I might Mm. be, you know, ordering a birthday present for them to take to their friend's party. I mean, a lot of times it's in service for 
something that they want to do. So that's one reason. But I also think it allows you to have conversations like, oh, that was such a cute picture we took after bath time, but I'm, I'm not going to post that one, you know, online, but let's send it to grandma. She'll think that's fun. <laughs> um, and you can just kind of plant seeds for little decisions that you're making about um, another example might be, you know, my kids think they can FaceTime anyone all the time. It's like the world right. is just available to them. No <laughs> one has operating hours anymore. No one has right. office hours. Right. Um, so I might say something like, oh, you know, it's too early to text. So maybe I'll send an email instead. And, you know, you're able to narrate the different things you're doing with your device. And in doing so, you're kind of showing that you're using manners. You're using you're following sort of like social rules or accepted um, communication you know, rules of the game um, and that you're making choices about privacy and safety. So, yeah, I think narrating um, allows you to introduce a lot of these concepts. And and with toddlers and preschoolers, they may act like they're not even listening, but it's so important for you to just start this conversation somewhere. Okay, so the manners thing, I love this and the not always being on thing. And let me say this, this continues on um, well past this age. So it is good to start. And Two things I've really noticed with my kids who are not anywhere close to that age anymore, but still kind of fit into that was um, in the, uh, well into the elementary school years, my kids would like freak out and go grit my, like if they saw my phone light up with a, you know, or was ringing, mm-hmm. they would like get it and bring it to me like in a panic, <laughs> like mom, 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 like someone's calling you. And I remember saying, finally, you know, my, my phone's in another room for a reason. I don't need to answer it just because it's ringing. Like yeah. having to say over and over, like, my phone ringing is not an emergency yeah. because they would have this Pavlovian response <laughs> to it. And I almost just had to be very calm and say, oh, no, no, it's okay. I don't yeah. have to answer every call that comes in. Yeah. The other thing I was noticing pretty recently, my phone was sitting like face up on the table, just like kind of a, like a foot away from me. And Clara kept tapping it to make it like light up. Oh, yes. I have kids who will do that. Okay. So uh, and she's 10, right? And I don't know if this is like she couldn't bear to have my phone be dark. <laughs> And I finally had to say, Clara, I'm not using my phone right now. Like there's a reason it's it's two feet away from my hand and it's there because I might make a call or send a text. But like right now, I don't need it to be alive. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And I think that that is something that maybe my kids are learning a little later because they weren't really exposed to smartphones as young. Yeah. And so it's more novel to them now. Yeah. I'm just so curious what that's going to look like when kids who grew up navigating the fact that a phone ring ringing doesn't mean you have to jump right. and answer it or it doesn't have to be lit up. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. What's that going to look like? Oh my gosh. Well, a couple other things I thought of for this age group. And one is just to start the practice of asking anyone's permission whose photo you're about to take, child, adult, and also hand the camera over to your little one and have them take a picture of you. And then, you know, kind of like make it a game, look at pictures together, find one you like and send it to grandma via text or whatever. But this idea of taking photos with permission and sharing them with permission is something that is going to, it's not going to stop being a thing. It's going to continue to be a thing. And I don't think uh, we can start too early with just having the conversation. And I know my kids love to look at pictures of themselves. They love to take selfies. So we have a lot of fun with it. Um, But I think toddlers and preschoolers is not too early to just um, get yourself in the habit of asking permission before you take or share a photo. So that's an easy one. Another one I thought of is this age, I'm thinking three and four-year-olds especially, are really already very into privacy and what's appropriate. You know, they have all kinds of questions about who can wear what and where and why and, you know, why can't I run around naked in the front yard? And so with this age, you're already having a lot of conversations that's about, you know, some things stay inside our house and are private to our family And some things are okay for everybody out in public to see. And here's why we, you know, dress this way when we go to this place. It's it's a time when you're already answering a lot of natural curiosity questions about that. So I don't think that it's that difficult to extend that to things like online behavior and online privacy. So I think it's just a natural extension to be able to say similar things about what we share online, um, both in terms of what kind of information we share online and then things like photos and things like that. So it may be in very simple terms with a three and four year old, but I think we can um, capitalize on their natural curiosity. And and as much as possible, I think this is a through line in this episode, um, keep technology as an extension of the way we're talking about other aspects of real life. Yeah, that's really true. Good, good points there. Well, and then my last one for toddlers and preschoolers is we're going to get in later on about teaching kids to really know what's real and what's fake online, that's going to continue to be kind of a big 
hot topic these days, I think. So with the little guys, I think you can just start small and kind of have fun with it. Um, One example I thought of is that my kids were kind of embarrassingly old before they could tell the difference between an animated children's program and like live action, like real humans. Well, in their defense, it's gotten really good. (laughs) Yes, that is true. The animation has gotten really good. But I remember I would ask like, oh, is that movie, is it a cartoony movie or is it like real people? And they'd be like, oh, it's real people. And I'd look, I'm like, guys, that is is made with a computer. (laughs) Like, what are you looking at? So I think just knowing as a parent that this idea of being smart consumers of what you see online and that the ability to tell real from fake is is going to become a skill set we want to develop in our kids. And um, just to keep that in mind with the little ones, I think, um, is great during this stage. Yeah, I think sometimes we expect them to be a little more savvy than their brains are able to yes. be developmentally just yet. So that is really good advice. OK, so let's talk about the, the fact that this does evolve, though. So you've got these toddlers and preschoolers. And like you said, some of your kids um, who shall remain nameless, perhaps... <laughs> It took them a really long time to kind of outgrow some of the that naivete about what's real and what's fake. So let's talk about that and the other things that change as kids move into elementary school. Some things don't change for a while. Some things start to change right away. So talk about the issues you've dealt with and some of those tips. Yeah. So here's what I think about this age range. And this is right where I am right now. So my kids are seven, nine and eleven. Um, we do a lot of consuming the Internet together. And I don't just mean like around a laptop. But I mean, we generally are in the same room talking about the same things we're consuming, whether it's a funny picture or a video or we're streaming something or we're reading something or we're asking our smart speaker to play a song or to answer a question. We generally are together as family time when we're consuming the internet. And I like that for a lot of reasons. Um, Everything we've been talking about with the little ones, the modeling kind of the behavior we hope that they'll have and then narrating what we're doing online. This is really where it kicks into high gear, I think, is in the elementary school age. And there's just a lot of opportunity for open conversations. The kids ask really good questions. Um, We do talk about what's real and what's fake how to tell if a website is reputable, you know, just little things like looking for the .edu or .org as a first clue, or maybe going to the about page to see where it is that they're getting this information, how to type in a search term or a search phrase that's going to get them really the results that they're looking for. It's really like a thousand different little mini lessons and mini conversations. Um, and, And we are able to have them because at this age, my kids are still, for the most part, under my supervision, They might have a device and I'm not looking at them and their device the whole time they're using it, but they generally are in the same space, the same shared family space on a device that I own. So I think that's been that's been a really helpful. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, training wheels on a bike, right? They're getting Mm -hmm. increasingly independent, um, but I'm still very much involved. And just like with learning to ride a bike and learning so many other things at this age, we just know there's going to be kind of some bumps. There's going to be some awkward moments. Uh, My 11-year-old likes to grab my phone and send a quick text message, maybe to update a friend that we're on the way or we're in the car. And I've had to coach her a little bit on how to send a polite text message, especially if the person receiving it doesn't know that it's not from me because it's coming (laughs) from my phone. So like just those little examples of etiquette. Um, But what I am grateful for is we just have a lot of opportunity for that in these in these elementary school years. Yeah, it's so easy to forget that this is really a language that they're learning. Mm -hmm. Um, And like tech is its own kind of language. And then each platform has its own language within that too. And it takes time to learn the little intricacies. Like to us, it's so obvious that they have to identify themselves. Right. (laughs) But to a little kid, it might not be. I was just thinking it's like, kind of like you wouldn't drop a kindergartner off at the mall by themselves, but you might take a sixth grader and let them walk around by themselves with a friend for a short amount of time. And the growing and the learning that happens in those elementary school years is all gradual, right? Each time I take my kids to the mall, they're learning how to navigate. We look at the sign. They know where the bathroom is. They know how to approach somebody for help if they have a concern. And so I think the internet is kind of like that. You wouldn't drop Mm. a kindergartner off in the internet, unsupervised. (laughs) But by sixth grade, I think they have some tools and skills. So I don't know. It's it's been a really good time for us, I think. Those little brains are soaking up so much information and they're learning so much just about just by watching the way you do things. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is something really good to keep in mind. So this has been great. Um, Thanks for having these tips about younger kids. And I'm excited to dig into the middle and high school aged um, situation. Situation. (laughs) After we talk a little more about our sponsor. Yes, I am too. I am going to need all of your tips for the tweens and teens, please. (laughs) 
Okay, so we talked earlier about our sponsor, Google, and Safer Internet Day, and why it's so important to have the tech talk with our kids. So now let's dive into Google's Be Internet Awesome program, because they've really got some great tools for parents in here. Yes, I love this. So Google has identified what they call the five pillars of internet awesomeness. (laughs) And Sarah, I thought we could go back and forth and talk about each pillar and then share a favorite tip from Google. And then maybe we can identify how we've enacted that pillar in our home or maybe want to start if we're, if it's a place where we're not doing such a bang up job. So I'll go first. The first pillar is smart, where we learn to share with care. So that's all about our digital footprint and the idea that once we share something, it may be out there forever. So how do we do that with care? And the tip I loved from Google is think about the way that your family uses tech and play a game of is this OK to share? And then give examples. So like your address or a photo of your family dog or your full name or where you go to school or a message between two friends or when you'll be out of town. So those examples really made me think because while I have made a point of telling my kids not to share stuff that might hurt or offend their friends, like a private message or a photo of the other person, I'm not sure I've been as careful about things like sharing our upcoming vacation details. Yeah, that is. You can see how that one would slip through the cracks for sure. And I agree. That's one area that I think is so helpful just to continue to narrate for your younger kids when you're the one sharing. So just saying out loud the smart decisions that you're making as you go. Okay, so the next pillar is alert. And that is where we learn not to fall for fake. So like I was just talking about phishing and scams are out there as well as like, you know, hashtag fake news. Right. So my favorite tip from Google is to explain a time to your kids that you saw a scam or got scammed and then just go through the reasons that you felt kind of weird about it and what you did when you realized that it was a fake. I have actually shown my kids fake emails, like the ones that try to get you to click this link and connect to your bank account or whatever, including the ones that make it through my filters, because I think it's really cool to show them Here's how real something can look. And here's what to look for to tell. You know, I always look for what's the actual email address this came from and a few other little clues. So it's kind of like including them in the process and helping them become detectives because um, there will always be scams and phishing out there. Yeah, so true. Okay, so the next pillar is strong, where we learn how to secure our digital stuff. So one of Google's tips is to talk about how to protect your personal information by setting up accounts with strong passwords. And you can play a game where you show your kids a password and ask if it's strong or not. So so I have to admit, I've been kind of terrible about this in the past, and it can be really hard now with how many kids are in my house, all logging into these various shared accounts. And then I want copies of their passwords so it can get a little bit out of control. So I'm definitely going to be giving some thought to creating strong passwords that kids and I can both memorize, and then what systems we can put in place to remember which passwords go to what and how we can safely store that information so that we all have access, including me. I think that is a great goal. Okay, well, the fourth pillar is kind, where we learn that it's cool to be kind. This pillar is all about being positive digital citizens and spreading kindness online. Google's tip is to emphasize the importance of taking action against negative behavior by spreading kindness or positivity, or even reporting or blocking the people involved. We know it's not always this black and white. I think with my kids, what this really looks like is an ongoing dialogue that comes back to a central point. And that is if we wouldn't say something in real life to someone's face, then it's not okay to say online. We also really emphasize that subtle humor cues are harder to pick up on digitally, like irony and sarcasm. So we have a fantasy football league, for example, and my kids can get really into kind of trash talking their long distance uncle or whatever. And it all comes from a place of fun. But I do use that as a moment to talk about knowing the line and what's fun and what could be considered rude or hurtful. So the fifth pillar is brave. That's where we learn that when in doubt, we talk it out. Sarah, this one is so important to me because, as you know, I have a lot of kids (laughs) and they spend equal time in my home and at their dad's and they're Internet savvy. And between them, they have a lot of devices. So I love this tip from Google. Explain to your child that with the Internet, no matter your intention, you will come across something that doesn't make sense or makes you feel uncomfortable. And when that happens, they get to know that they have trusted adults around to help them make sense of the situation and that they're not going to get into trouble for letting us know. This makes so much sense to me because, as you know, we have a pretty open Internet policy in my house. And my approach has always been to teach my kids both character and problem solving skills first. I just feel like those qualities work across all platforms and basically in everything you do in life. So if they understand the basic principles of right and wrong and that they can and should talk to me or another adult if something trips them up or just seems wrong, then I don't have to be so paranoid that a new platform I don't understand is going to come along and just like make them completely forget those principles. 
I strongly believe in leading with character and courage when it comes to all this stuff, because that's what's going to stick. I love that, too. And I wanted to share just one more tip, because we know that even really little kids hear about tablet apps from their friends and all of a sudden want to start downloading stuff you've never heard of. Google's tip is to set some digital ground rules for your family when it comes to app downloads. So you're going to have a conversation with your kids where you put a few rules in place for stuff like screen time, content, the actual app downloads and more. And then discuss those rules. You might explain to them why you want to set screen limits or which apps are more likely to be declined and which ones you'll likely approve. Like maybe you're not okay with in-app chat features, but educational apps generally get a green light. And for those of you with Android devices, the Family Link app from Google lets you predetermine what kinds of apps your kids can even see in the Play Store. You can approve or deny their ability to download remotely, and you can set screen time limits or lock their devices. Super cool features there. We should also mention that the Family Link app from Google is completely free, and there are tons of other features that are really cool supplements to these conversations. Okay, and Megan, before we dive back into the episode, just another big plug for Interland, that online learning game that's a big part of the Be Internet Awesome program. There are actually four different games that go along with some of those pillars of awesomeness, and my kids just ate this game up. It was really cute. I let them play while I was making dinner the other night, and I was overhearing all these great little conversations about passwords and privacy and online sharing, which then gave me the opportunity to turn those things into a conversation. And you want to know the bonus? The game's music is not annoying. It's actually kind of pleasant. So thank you, Google. They solved it. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, everyone, we're going to get back to the episode. But again, we just want to thank Google for sponsoring this discussion on having the tech talk with kids. We really appreciate their positive approach to combining family and technology and would love for you to check out their resources too. So visit g.co slash be internet awesome. Again, that's g.co slash be internet awesome to find helpful resources like the family guide, explore the five pillars of internet awesomeness and play interland. Okay, Megan, it's time to move along age wise and talk about tweens and teens. And I would imagine that we probably can group this this group together, right? Because they're independent on their devices for the most part. And I'm sure the issues change as they get older. But It's kind of one big circus. Yes. Yes, that is very true. (laughs) Okay, so what have you noticed? How do things start to shift when kids move into the tween stage? And do you just have any general tips for moms like me uh, at this age? Yeah. So we've touched on this so many times with a variety of topics. But really, the biggest change between elementary school aged kids and tweens and middle school aged kids is that mom and dad just have less influence and control. And that is true with like everything. So no surprise, Mm -hmm. it's also true with tech. Um, Not only are kids just way more interested in what their friends have to say or what their friends think than they used to be, and also more than they're interested in what we have to say or what we think, but they also just have more time with them unsupervised, like at school, at sports, like between activities um, and even just during their social time, they just have more time and it tends to be less tightly controlled. Mm -hmm. So my approach has always been to take more of a practical and trust-based approach to supervision instead of clamping down. Like I want to offer my kids tools that will help them make better choices in like any situation, which tech-based or not, um, and then trust them to make the right choices until they kind of prove otherwise, I suppose. Then the flip side is that they always feel like they can and should talk to me and ask questions and let me know what's going on. And there's always going to be some tension between the differences in house rules and school rules and other people's home rules. There's always going to be kids doing things my kids feel iffy about. There will always be temptations to use technology in a way that I might not approve of, but that is platform independent. And Mm -hmm. I just want to like really emphasize that when a new app comes out or a new platform or a new network, it's so tempting to kind of freak out because you don't understand it. But no matter how well I understand or don't understand how that app works, Mm -hmm. it's just out there. And that character building, those tools, being open with sharing information, answering questions and just being available like that always applies. Yeah. No matter how smart you are, you may not you might not understand the newest technology, Mm -hmm. but the other stuff does not ever stop applying. Yeah. And those are the same principles kids and parents have dealt with over time, yeah. like through every, every age stage mm-hmm. and every era um, there has ever been, regardless of what those individual kids were dealing with at that point in time. Yeah, I think some of the most just to jump in, some of the most compelling writing and expert advice I've heard on this topic, they, it all comes back to we're still participating in a social culture and mm-hmm. in a social environment and in a, a society. And that as parents, it's not 
it's not a totally foreign land because we grew up navigating friend circles and, mm-hmm. you know, drama and teen stuff. And it, it hasn't that part hasn't changed. It's just happening in a different sphere. And so, yes, I'm just echoing what you said, that the the things we're able to mentor and coach our kids about are totally platform independent. I would agree. And in 20 years, when who knows what's happening, it'll still apply. Like right. those lessons will still will still stick. Um, I also try to keep in mind that I was a pretty early internet and social media adopter among my friends and family. And the people around me didn't always understand forums or chat, you know, chat platforms or later blogs or whatever the latest social media was. So I try to stay really positive about how the landscape looks for my kids now. Even when I don't understand it, I really try not to be dismissive of it. I might not stay up on all the latest platforms quite the same way that I used to. Um, I don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I really respect that each each one, like each social network has its own values, its own language to learn, really. And it's really cool that my kids get to have that. They get to actually like create this culture with their peers and a language that didn't exist before. I think that's awesome. And it's still cool, even if I'm not involved in it. <laughs> and even if I don't understand it, like I can still right. understand that it's generally this really neat thing they get to take part of that is that is a positive thing. So I try to be really positive and respectful so that they don't feel like it's something they have to hide from me or feel bad about loving it. Because honestly, if I were them, I'd love it all too, right? I really, really love that approach. I love yeah. That. So the other thing that starts to change around this stage is that our kids' understanding of tech starts to outpace ours. And I honestly think that's true, even if you set a lot of limits at home, because kids are just more exposed to it. So they may even have teachers who are 10 years younger than you, Mm -hmm. who are talking about different sites and platforms that you've never even tried or heard of. So again, to me, it's about staying positive about the benefits and why they think it's fun, because it is fun. And then empowering them with the tools I mentioned earlier, like character-based stuff that's going to help them make decisions in the moment. And just building that kind of relationship where they can come to you if they aren't sure or feel weird about something. Those are the things that are just going to cross every platform and every kind of technology there is. Yeah. What I love about this is you can kind of see the through line um, with our kids, my kids age growing up so native and so exposed to all of this. Um, You can really see the potential for them to grow into really healthy, well-adjusted internet users. Yeah. Okay. So that's a great way to segue into some of the more specific issues that come up in these ages. So let's start with the technology itself. What what changes have you seen in these tween and teen ages? Okay. So it sounds kind of silly, but the first challenge our household faced as we added more technology wasn't what was actually happening on the tech, but like the tech itself. But I still think this is a great teaching ground. Suddenly it can start to feel like there's this device explosion going on (laughs) in your home. And it's a great opportunity to talk about respecting other people's property. The golden rule, like you don't unplug someone else's phone (laughs) off the charger. I mean, we've had to have these talks. You don't let the shared tablet completely run out of battery. I mean, these are all things that we deal with in life Yeah. um, that you take out into the real world. Like, you know, you're at the coffee shop and you want to plug in your stuff. Do you unplug the person's laptop from, you know, and like plug your own in? No, you don't do that. And you start learning about things like your technology is yours. Other people's is theirs. How do you respect that? Um, also when it comes to the actual devices, there can be some tension between the kids needing to have it on hand for school or because they're just mobile after school, getting to the sports or activities, but they don't take care of them. Mm. And that's been something that's evolved over time in our household. And honestly, I've really had to treat every kid differently, just like we do with many things. Um, some of my kids have been stuck with really kind of old school tech for a long time because they just don't keep track of it or they don't take care of it. And some have been great about keeping their phone on the charger at night and then just going to bed. Well, if I let others kind of control that themselves, they'd stay up way too late or they'd never have a charged phone when I try to call them, which drives me batty. So it's really a case by case. It's really more active management. Um, I don't think it's something where you can just set a house rule and then expect every kid to just be able to equally follow it. Mm -hmm. It, That's very unrealistic. And I think we know that instinctively about almost everything with parenting. And then again, we get into tech and we feel like there's a different set of like that's different reality we're living in but it it really is kid by kid um it's it's another example of how parenting around tech is the same as parenting around everything else yeah yep that's so true okay so what about bullying and kind of mean kid stuff that you've seen or or even just what we were talking about earlier about respecting other people's privacy specifically their peers Well, I love that you talked about modeling right from the start, Mm -hmm. right from like baby and infancy Mm -hmm. and toddler times. Um, 
because I think that is really important. So my kids follow me on multiple social media platforms. I like it that way. Like I don't, I usually keep mine very clean um, and that's by design. And I like that now that they see me that and they see that I'm interacting respectfully and they see that there's a way I talk to people online, which is the same way I would maybe talk to someone in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, they also know that in our house, we check with each other before we post photos or other personal information. And sometimes I kind of have to turn that around on them. So my kids all developed a very strong opinion about what I'm allowed to share about them. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's not so, you know, they don't remember that when it comes time to share about other people. So sometimes I turn that back around on them and I'll say, hey, this is a really fun picture you posted. Um, How did so-and-so feel about you posting that and tagging them? (laughs) I think it's been really interesting to watch how kids these days um, play with their social media feeds. Like, I feel like, Sarah, the, the time of life that we kind of got into social media it's almost like an, a historically accurate and unchanging record of my history. Yeah. I have deleted very few things, very, very yeah. few from my internet sort of profile going back way far. Uh, my footprint is pretty much, it's pretty accurate. But kids now, they delete and re-add stuff all the time. So it's like their feed is this constantly evolving thing. It's like an experiment that that reflects like whatever they're wanting to put forward at any given time. And it's just really different. And, and there are some challenges kind of inherent to that, but there's also an opportunity. The upside is that kids are really open to making changes and deletions if they start to feel iffy about the content they've put up. So sometimes if I ask a leading question, like, do you think that your friend would like this post or this picture of them? Or if I kind of express some like mild disapproval about a caption they've put up, next time I check, it's gone. So I can tell that they got the they got the picture and they're getting better about yeah. it over time. There's fewer times as each child gets older that I have to kind of say hmm, or ask that sort of mom's kind of asking. She's asking this like it's a rhetorical question, but it's not. Yeah. You know, well, isn't it funny that I feel like teenagers, I mean, what they always say about teenagers is you're trying on personalities. You're trying mm-hmm. on identities anyway. So it would make sense that that would extend um, to social media. Um, and so that's so interesting. I just find that so interesting. Yeah. And it takes time and practice to develop social media skills. So I always feel like if I freak out and clamp down too hard, the first time they kind of push a boundary, which they're going to do, yeah, they might take that post down, but maybe there's a missed opportunity for everyone to learn from it. And who knows, maybe they would just go underground and start a new account. I would much rather just kind of keep those lines of communication open. And mm-hmm. when I do have something, when I have an opinion, it's going to come across in the same way I would have an opinion about the way they wash the dishes. Like I'm not going to give it so much more weight right. and make it heavy. Um, I'd rather they just kind of know where I stand and then let them decide. And and majority of the time they do the thing I hope they're going to do. Well, I love that because you're empowering them to be their own kind of online selves and to make yeah. good choices, but you're not completely checked out either. Well, let's dig a little deeper into this then, because we know that teenagers and their impulse control are still working, still working out the kinks there with the impulse control. (laughs) So potentially the decisions they make online could carry more significant consequences. You you gave examples that, you know, they're able to course correct relatively quickly. But have there been times or do you have a way to handle times when there's a potential for, you know, a, a, a more serious consequence. Yeah. And oh my gosh, all my older kids, by the way, have made at least one online move where I've been like, whoa, 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 whoa. And in some cases where I had to say like, you, this could really get you in trouble. So the first thing I do is try not to freak out and overreact. So for me to say, hey, this is the kind of thing that nowadays would really get you in trouble is different than me getting in their faces, making them feel bad or ashamed. Like those are two very different things. In the first example, it's almost like me pointing at the world and saying, this is the world that we live in. And I know it's really hard to figure out, but like, this is the reality. So how do we, you know, how do we navigate that reality? But we have to remember that these are kids. We got to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. Like we made tons of mistakes and we were allowed to make them in private. Um, So it's tempting to let the publicness of the stage that they're on or the potential ramifications of some kind of faux pas send you into like this hyperdrive. I don't know if that's really productive. I think I would really rather empower my kids to kind of figure out for themselves why it wasn't the best choice and then help them fix it and learn from it. And sometimes maybe that includes consequences that I don't even have to be the one to enact. Maybe Mm -hmm. it's the school or another parent 
um, or something like that. Like there's might be something that is a more natural consequence where I can kind of walk them through it, but I don't have to like pile on just because it happened online and I should be freaking out about that. Um, so sometimes what that looks like is walking them through the process of undoing a mistake or making amends. So they kind of see what a pain it can be like, mm-hmm. okay, you posted this thing. It was inappropriate. Here's what needs to happen now. It has to get deleted. You have to apologize to the person who was implicated that you tagged. And then maybe, you know, maybe you might want to reach out to your aunt because uh, she's the one who sent me a text last night, letting me know <laughs> that she saw this. And obviously it bothered her a lot. And she might be wondering why you would post something like that. Okay. And now that you've done that, let's just keep in mind that the parents of the girl you like maybe saw that too. And now what are they thinking? And you can do all this really gently. Like, you don't have to pile on. You don't have to shame them or add or freak out and like make it like you'll never, this will never right. go away. This is on your permanent record forever. But just to kind of help them understand that they may think they're in a bubble mm-hmm. because they think only their friends see stuff um, and that that is a misconception. And and just having them understand what actually the ripple effect mm-hmm. can be so that it's not worth it yeah. next time. It's almost like you're, connecting the the digital realm with like the face-to-face real life community in a way that maybe their brains just don't they can't do on their own yet yeah um and then maybe i'll ask some questions about what they do next time so Mm -hmm. like before they fire off something without thinking about it because they want to look cool or they impress somebody or because they're mad because they're behind a screen i think it can seem and we've all gone through this it Mm -hmm. seems less i don't know real to fire something off when you're mad Um, But then when you start to realize it is real and a hassle to undo it, you're more motivated. Like our kids have been working on social tools since kindergarten. Mm -hmm. These are the ones that are preschool, like the ones that make it so you don't yell at your teacher when you don't like their homework or you don't shove a kid on the playground. Like these are the same tools. They just have to be tapped into in this different environment, which sometimes their brains don't, like you said, immediately make the connection. Right. And you're just sort of, I'm like having a visual of you just gently leading them back to center, like leading them back to the course one step at a time, but understanding that they, that they are not going to get it perfectly every time. Yeah, I love that. Exactly. Um, Well, a lot of what you've touched on so far is applicable to tweens and teens, but it seems like high school is kind of its own, its own thing entirely. So What shifts as kids move toward adulthood and any tips or advice for that age? So a lot of it is the same. I'll just touch on a couple things really quickly. One thing is that, you know, again, going back to like, we were allowed to make these mistakes. I think that when we were kids, we were allowed to have private lives. We were allowed to have conversations uh, in our friends' cars or by their lockers (laughs) in high school that we wouldn't want our parents to hear using language that they would, you know, not want to hear. And now that stuff is happening in all these different places, including on devices. So even though I am the ultimate owner of the device and I reserve the right to at any point, you know, get into a kid's device if it's a matter of safety, that's different than me monitoring for language or because they might say something nasty about me or whatever. Like I, I, I kind of, the older they get, want to separate myself from that because that's real, that's real life and that's real independence. Um, so that's one thing where I think Monitoring can start to feel kind of tricky. And I have erred on the side of giving them more space with the understanding that if it ever is a personal safety issue, I'm not going to hesitate, jump in. Mm -hmm. And then in high school, things like being smart about passwords and internet safety can become a real thing in their life. So, you know, up until that point, maybe it's you filling out insurance forms and things like that and knowing their social security numbers, things like that. But suddenly they are filling out job applications. Mm -hmm. They might sign up for an online bank account. So if you've been handling all that for them all along um, and have not really given them the tools to figure it out for themselves, you might want to start having that conversation if they haven't really been careful about password safety or even things like, you know, keeping passwords separately from the family passwords, because Mm -hmm. maybe when they're 17 or 18, they may have things going on online that really have nothing to do with me that I might not even want to know about or like get involved in, right? Like, for example, um, it's really clear that when you sign your kids up for a financial, like when you fill out a financial aid uh, application, mm-hmm. you're really not supposed to have access to that. That is really your child's. And so it's like, there's a separate login for parents and a separate login for kids. And that can start, that can feel really sudden. Like, oh my mm-hmm. gosh, wait, what? All of a sudden they're the keeper of their own internet stuff. They're mm-hmm. the keeper of their own accounts and passwords. I think it's good to start kind of making that gradual and maybe show them how you do it. Like mm-hmm. maybe show them what system or tools that you use to keep those things safe so that they can do it when they're old enough to be doing it on their own. 
Yeah, I love that. Okay, I feel ready to have teenagers. No. <laughs> well. <laughs> no, no, I don't. Just kidding. Um, They're great. Okay, well, this has been a really great conversation, Megan. And I'm I'm hopeful that we're leaving moms feeling like they have what it takes already in their arsenal to have these conversations with their kids. I think I hope, if anything, that we've shown that we don't have it all figured out, but we're not afraid to try. And we're definitely not afraid to share what has worked in our houses so far. And seriously, we would love to hear from you all about ways that you talk about online privacy and digital citizenship with your kids. If you have navigated like a really challenging topic or felt like you found a good way to explain something, would you email us? I would seriously love it. Because we are, like we said, we're regular moms like you all figuring this all out. So you can email us hello at themomhour.com and send us your tips. We'd love to hear them. Yes, we would love that. And of course, we also want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Google. And Sarah, I think a great first step for checking out the Be Internet Awesome program would be to get your kids playing Interland, don't you think? Oh my gosh, yes. I swear this gave us more conversation starters than any book or expert could have. And the kids had so much fun playing it. I just cracked open my laptop and set them up at g.co slash Interland, and it was super fun and easy. We'll link that up in the show notes, of course. And you can also access the entire program at g.co slash Be Internet Awesome. Well, thanks again to Google for sponsoring this episode. And thanks to everyone for listening. We'll be back with you next Tuesday with an all new episode. Talk to you then. Guess what, Megan? Over 10,000 teens are already using our sponsor, Erica, to help them unplug. That is amazing. Erica, that's Erica with a K, is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug whenever they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. It's so cool how this works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Yeah, you know, teens really get that social media comes with risks, including addiction. And Erica helps them build healthy habits in self-regulation that will benefit them their whole lives. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K E R I K A dot A P P and use code the mom hour to save 20%. Sarah, I have been having just the best time making my new podcast, The Teas Made. I launched back in November, and so far I've covered topics like staying warm on cold winter walks, nurturing creativity, how to be a great host, and even Nordic secrets to loving winter. Well, you know, I am fan number one of the teas made. It's got such a cozy vibe and it seems like you've really hit your stride in covering topics like wellness, self-care, comforting rituals and routines and home and family life. Just look for the teas made with Megan Francis wherever you get your podcasts or head to theteasmade.com to find all the episodes.